Thanks, Anna. Am I, am I on? I'm on, yeah. Just to say, if you, um, have, uh, having, if you use the Wi-Fi to um, trans the translation app, you're having problems, you just the code's up there again. We've had to restart the system so uh, you can use it. Uh, if you scan that, then it will actually work this time rather than just be stuck on the welcome page there. It's great to be here this morning with you. My name's Sai, as Anna said. Thank you for praying for us last week in Dartford. We had a really good time with the, the church uh, there. God's uh, doing some great stuff uh, amongst them, and we were just able to encourage them in, um, in reaching the nations in, in particular. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was good to, to be there. Um, if you're here this morning uh, and, uh, you know, you're, it's your uh, first uh, time or your visitor, just want to give you a really warm welcome as well. It's great that uh, you're here amongst us. If you've been here many years, you're welcome as well. It's great, it's great to have you here. We are, it's, great, it's good to see uh, what God is doing in your lives, to hear what God's doing in your lives. And you know, God is wanting to meet with you this morning. And I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you. If you're not familiar with God's word, then know that whilst it was written by various different writers over a period of about 1,500 years, and though it was written in three different languages as well, and so much so that you could even see, if you, if you were to study the original, you can see uh, different people's writing styles. You can have a good idea as to some of them, their educational level that they had. You can even work out, if you're an expert, as to what period of time that it was written in as well, due to the language that they used. Just like for us, I suppose, if you read the authorised or King James version, you can realise, oh, that's old English. That must have been written a while ago. Uh, you, you get that with the Bible as well. But ultimately, the Bible is a book with one author, God himself. He so shaped the people writing it and what they wrote that what is in here is exactly what God wanted them to write. It's the ever-relevant Word of God to you and to me and to all humanity. The Bible describes itself as living and active, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, as you read other books, you learn about whatever subject they're written on or the characters in there. And the same is true of the Bible. You learn about God and about his ways. All that you need to know about God is in the Bible. Not necessarily all you'd like to know, all you want to know, but all that you need to know about God, he has recorded for us in his word. But as you read the Bible, as this passage says that it's living and active, that doesn't mean it starts running around your room at nighttime or anything scary like that. It means that it is actually reading you at the same time, right the way down to the thoughts and intention of 
your heart. It acts like a mirror reflecting the true state of your soul back to yourself as you read it before God. Now, I know you'll find this hard to tell, so, so no laughing, please, but I hardly ever look in the mirror. Shock, a horror. I know, I know, you're, you're shocked at that. In fact, only a couple of times, in fact, yeah, a couple of times a week, Anna will often say to me, you're not going out in that, are you? I'm like, well, what's, what's wrong with it? And she says, you can't wear that, so I have to go and get checked. Maybe that's nothing to do with the mirror, that one. I don't, I don't know. But, uh, but the other week, I was walking around here, and Rob said to me, you do realise you've got your jumper on back to front, don't you? <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry, I got dressed in the dark. I didn't, didn't notice. Of course, all of us have had that experience, haven't we? Where you're walking around, you're all confident, you're feeling, feeling fine, and then you suddenly see yourself in the reflection there, and you suddenly realise, oh, I've got a stain. Normally, if it's a man, you're here, so, oh, I've got a wee patch, oh dear. And you, and you, you sort of uh, have to cover yourself. That You're suddenly so self-conscious as to what uh, your true state is like. The Bible is God's mirror to us, to reflect our true state to, to us. And it's not there to embarrass you or to make you feel awkward. It's doing that so that we can deal with those issues that God finds offensive. It's a manual for us on how to live life as we should, as the Creator intended us, and is for our good as well. Men, I know we're not very good at reading manuals. This is a manual that you need to read. It's also a map to guide you safely through life. Do I dare say, women, we know you're not very good at reading maps. Do I dare say that? Well, oh, dear, I can't get away. I can get away with insulting men, can't I? But, uh, yeah, yeah, no. It's a map to keep you safe in life, to guide you away from places that you shouldn't go to that will do you harm. And you know, it's our absolute privilege in this country for, the, if you like, the English-speaking world to have the Bible in so many wonderful translations that we can read it and pick up different nuances uh, of it as we read that. So my friends, learn it, love it, live it, is my encouragement to you. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you, or if it's on your phone or something like that, to turn to Psalm 85, because that's where we'll be today. It will appear behind me in a minute. But, um, but just know that Psalm 85 is in what is the third book of the Psalms. There's five books within the Psalms. And if you, as you read it, you might suddenly say, oh, there's book two here, and uh, book three. Well, book two, we're told by a theologian called Beth Tanner, says uh, that it finishes on a high. They're like, woo everything's going well in the Psalms at that stage. Book three, however, is marked by a sense of dire crisis. The community is on the verge of the unthinkable. That's what you see that through the Psalms in, in, uh, in book three on, on the whole. And of course, this is talking about, she's talking about ancient Israel at that time when the writer was uh, uh, writing that particular psalm. But doesn't it describe that statement? Doesn't it describe the current situation in the UK 
at the moment on the verge of the unthinkable. With all the wars going on in the world, with talk of war here in the next three to five years, so much so that our foreign secretary and former prime minister is saying it's actually like we're like pre-Second World War Britain. That's our thinking that we need to adopt. We need to stop talking about appeasement. That's not going to work. Army chiefs saying we need to, you know, talking about conscription and all that sort of thing. The nation is at crisis point on so many levels, isn't it? The the, uh, violence and knife crime that we see and the assaults that we see in our news, the health care system failing around us, family breakdown, young people not even being able to afford their own homes and still having to live with mum and dad into their 30s. It's, it's, uh, it, these aren't small things. Mental health crisis being so prevalent in the UK that they say one in five people struggle with it. Do you know, the leading cause of death for men between 20 and 49, a 30-year period, the period of what physically should be their prime, the leading cause of death is suicide in men. For women, it's between 20 and 34. Suicide is the leading cause of death. In fact, though, if you're a woman, the most likely time, statistically, that you might try it is between 50 and 54. Just sadly, there are more things that kill you at that stage, so it's not the the leading cause of death um, uh, there. But one in five people 20 people in 100, they reckon, have seriously struggled with suicidal thoughts on, in our nation. We are on the verge, if not slightly off the verge, into the unthinkable as a nation. So let's see what God's ever-relevant word wants to say to us this morning as we look at Psalm 85, shall we? should appear on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles with you. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. As Ken reminded us a few uh, weeks ago, you don't need to say the word silah. It's just sort of pause, think. That's what it, what it means. You withdraw all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. I love the ESV translation. Every time you see in the Old Testament that word steadfast love, or the two words there in the English, it's from the Hebrew word hasid, which means covenantal or unfailing love. It's a love that remains stuck on the individual. So every time you see that, just think of that word. If you like, in the New Testament, you get the word agape is the key love word, talking about God's sacrificial, unconditional love. In the Old Testament, it's hasid which is his covenantal, his unfailing love to an individual. 
Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. I love that expression. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. What a wonderful psalm. Do people agree? Beautiful psalm, isn't it? It's actually one of my favorite psalms, and I enjoy it now and uh, like it even more now I've realized, as I've been studying into it, the current distress that the psalmist is in himself. It's written in the hope of something happening, not in the reality experienced by the psalmist itself, which is so true for us in the UK today. Do you know, there's been times in our past as a nation where we've been on the verge of crisis before. We've been on the verge of the unthinkable. And God, in his grace and in his love, has moved in revival power and turned this nation back to himself. Hallelujah. And now we're in a period of time where over the last 80 years, we have openly walked away from God and his ways as a nation. And again, we are on the verge of disaster as a nation. Beth Tanner writes on this, Psalm 85 is a song that asks God to restore the relationship and set the world right based on God's great actions in the past. John Calvin writes, this, the psalmist happily applies to believers of his own day the benefits which God in old time bestowed upon their fathers, because both they and their fathers were called to the hope of the same inheritance. Which, of course, my friends, as Christians in Christ Jesus, you now have that hope because you're in Christ. And the hope that we have since the Great Commission, since Jesus gave to the church the Great Commission, the church made up of both Jew and Gentile, the hope that we have is more than just for the promised land. It's for the whole world now, so that all the earth may be filled with the glory of the Lord, as Numbers 14, 21 declares, or as Habakkuk prophesied in Habakkuk 2, that the whole world will be full of the glory of the Lord. And that's been God's plan since day six of creation. Well, it's his plan before that, but that's when he revealed it. That's when he spoke it. And God's word never returns to himself void. And of course, this psalm picks up on that, that salvation is near, for God is wanting glory to dwell in the land through his people. And he wants his people all over the earth, bringing him glory. Ultimately, this psalm will be fulfilled when Christ 
returns and he restores all things and there's a new heaven and a new earth. But the psalmist here in verses 1 to 3 is recording God's love, his grace, his faithfulness in the past and using that to seek God, to say, Lord, you did it then in your grace, do it now again. And as God never changes, but he's completely consistent, his character is completely the same. His steadfast love is on you and is on me. As we've heard this morning through what Anna read, as, as the Father loved the Son, so he loves you. We can pray this psalm for ourselves and for our nation today. The fulfillment of this psalm at the time it was, was writing um, is, is uh, as I say, will be fully when Christ returns. But it's a prophetic psalm, found, and it's, a lot of its promises are found in Christ as well. Spurgeon, commenting on verse 2, says, What a miracle is this. To cover up the sun would be easy compared with the covering up of sin. What a covering does Christ's blood afford? By means of the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, sin is most effectively put away by one act forever. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10 verse 4 makes it clear that actually the whole Old Testament sacrifice system that was going on at the time of the psalm was only there as a, as a shadow, as to point forward to the once for all sacrifice that Jesus would make. Martin Luther, writing on verse 3, says, To withdraw all anger means that our sins are forgiven. And of course, as Hebrews makes clear, it's, oh, that's only possible through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. So building on God's decision to forgive in the past causes the psalmist in verses 4 to 7, to ask for God to do the same again in his day. Beth Tanner writes, The words are direct. The only way back to a relationship is for God to forgive. And the psalmist is there saying, in the psalm, he says, let's wait and see what God will say. What will God respond? And then, of course, you get those beautiful verses later on in the psalm, and particularly verses 10 to 13. Calvin, commenting on those verses, says, we have here a prophecy concerning the kingdom of Christ. The steadfast love of God is the origin and source of all his promises. From this, the righteousness which is offered, to us by the is offered to us by the gospel, while from that righteousness proceeds the peace which we obtain by faith when God justifies us freely. You see, the Bible's clear that we, by our own efforts, cannot make ourselves right with God. It's not about us trying harder, doing better, and then God might accept us. It's only through us looking to Jesus, what he has done on our behalf has God made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to receive his forgiveness and for his anger to be turned away. 
You see, Jesus was the only person to live that perfect life, fully pleasing God the Father in all that he did. And then God, and then Jesus, sorry, chose to die on the cross, to take on himself the punishment for all the things that you and I have said, all the things that you and I have done, all the things that you and I have thought that are wrong, that, of, that offend God and displease him. And, as, and all who recognize their failings, if you like, before God, and uh, realize their stains before God and turn to Jesus can be forgiven. But more than forgiven, they can be given Christ's righteousness as a covering on their life before God. They get given the Holy Spirit to make them more like Jesus, to make them born again, and to help them to start faithfully living for God. Not as slaves, but as loved children of God, adopted, hallelujah, into God's family. Through the cross of Christ, the righteous judgment against our sin is judged by God. And the peace that God has for us is freely given to us as we put our faith in him. And they can come together, so to speak. That righteousness and that peace can come together, as the psalm says, and kiss each other. Because his righteous anger against sin is dealt with and the peace that he wants to bless us is then free to be poured out on us. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness from above, smiling down on us. And the Holy Spirit helps us to live faithfully for God. And as God looks at you, he sees the beautiful faithfulness of Christ in you because your life is now hid with Christ on high. What you can never earn before God is freely given to us through surrendering to Jesus. And then Christ is with us in this life and all the way through this life into life eternal. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you're thinking, actually, yeah, I, I know I need to get right. I, I realize now it's not about me trying harder. It's not about me coming to church. It's about me surrendering to Jesus, recognizing what he's done for me. Then just pray this prayer in your heart with me. God knows what you're thinking. God knows what's going on in your heart. So just pray this prayer of surrender to him before I move on. Just say something like, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to come to earth and die for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I've done that offend you. And through the power of your spirit that raised Jesus from, from the grave, please help me to live the rest of my life for you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please come and see me afterwards. If you're watching online, please contact the office. We'd love to help you in your walk with God as you go on. But for the rest of us, here and now, as Ephesians 1 verse 3 makes clear, in Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places are given to us in Christ. And when Christ returns, the Bible makes clear, that's when we will get all the physical blessings as well that the Bible promises to us, even life eternal. However, Calvin, commenting on uh, verse 12, notes this, that God, whilst he bestows on his children spiritual blessings, gives them, in addition to these, some taste of his fatherly love in the outward benefit which relate to the life of the body. But let it be observed that the faithful generally only have it granted to them a limited, uh, in a limited portion of the comforts of this transitory life, that they may not be lulled asleep by the allurements of earth. You can uh, tell Calvin was writing a couple of hundred years ago, but uh, some, some of these language that, that is used there, of course, translated uh, into uh, English. But, um, but yeah, God gives us some earthly benefits in his goodness now, but not too many, otherwise we may get caught up in what Jesus talks about as a deceitfulness of wealth and love of pleasure. Um, mustn't get, get given in, into that as a church. This psalm, Psalm 85, through Christ Jesus is our psalm as a church. The hope of this psalm is your hope as God's people. You can use it, and we can use it, and we're going to use it in a minute, as a way to pray, as a basis for our prayers. For Christ has not returned yet. No, no mic drop moment there, is there? He's not returned yet. You're not expecting, you haven't, uh, you're, not, you're not thinking he has. He hasn't returned yet. But he's, the Bible's clear. The reason he hasn't returned yet is because he wants more people saved. He wants more people in his kingdom. 2 Peter 3 makes it clear to us, and it should appear on the screen behind me, that that's Christ's not returned yet, because he wants more people, wants all people, to reach repentance. It doesn't mean every single person, but it means people from every uh, different tribe and nation, and a, and a significant number of them like that. Christ is wanting to return to a glorious church, a holy and passionate church for him. He's wanting to revive his church again here. He's wanting to show his steadfast love to you, to his people. He's wanting to move in our land. He's wanting to grant salvation to many, again, as verse 7 would encourage us to pray. He's wanting his people to know his peace, that shalom of God, which means so much more than just the absence of trouble and danger. It's talking about wholeness, wellness, the blessing of God on your life. He's warning you in this psalm, in verse 8 of this psalm, like I did a few weeks ago, not to abandon your first love for God. Don't turn back to your own foolish ways, because God has so much better for you. Not just because you'll bring trouble and God's judgment on your life if you do, but you'll miss out on all that God is wanting to do in our time and in our land. For he is wanting to grant salvation so that glory can dwell 
amongst us in our land. And across the whole earth, as the scriptures have prophesied, it will happen. Do you want God to restore our nation? I know, many of you do. You want him to move in revival power? You want his presence to dwell amongst us? Amen. This is where we're all at. We want this. Many of us want this. And this is why I moved the meeting around this morning, because I'm going to invite you to, to stand uh, now. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and they will lead us in a few minutes' time. But what I want us to do is I want us to respond to this psalm. I'm going to read it over us again in a different translation this time, so we can, it might bring up some different things to you. It's the New Living Translation. But then I want us to use this psalm. It will stay on the screen uh, behind me. And uh, I want us to use it as uh, a basis for our prayer, for us to pray for this nation, to pray for this area, to pray for our friends and our family as well. To use it as a guide, to drawing upon God's voice done in the past, asking him to do it again in our land. Listen to these words. Maybe even just, just, if you feel comfortable, just close your eyes and just, just receive from God. Listen to his word. Lord, you poured out blessing on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. Now restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord and grant us your salvation. I listen carefully to what the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. So our land will be filled with his glory. Unfailing love and truth has met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the earth and righteousness smiles down from heaven. Yes, the Lord pours down his blessing. Our land will yield its bountiful harvest. Righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. So as I've encouraged us, let's use this psalm as a prayer together for our nation, for those around you. Don't worry about the person next to you hearing what you're praying. I encourage you to pray out loud. If God's given you a voice, you can speak, then use it to pray this psalm. And we'll be praying into this theme tonight, actually, at the prayer meeting, not necessarily this psalm, but this theme we'll be praying into it as well. And then after we prayed for about two or three minutes, the band's going to move into a time of worship because we're inviting God's glory to dwell amongst us. God wants to fill you afresh. He wants to meet with you 
as his people. Not because you deserve it or I deserve it, but because he loves you. He loves you with that unfailing love, as the psalm says. And he wants to move on our land because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. Christ has not returned yet, as we've seen, because he wants more people to come to know and love him. And the Bible's clear. The main way he wants to do that is through his church, which is you and me. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's raise our voice. Let's use this as a a springboard for our prayers. And then we'll go into a time of worship.